0: Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world, thank you for joining me for this week's edition of the SMIE Consulting Midweek Roundup. We're live, it's 1 p.m. Eastern Time on Wednesday, June 29th, 2022, and today we're going to be answering three questions we've been hearing from international educators over the last seven days. Uh, this past week has been an interesting one in our profession. Uh, we've seen some unique uh, topics come to the to come to the surface. Some old questions on uh, challenging issues in the past, and some new and some re- real important data uh, related to uh, student desires and student needs that we need to be aware of in international admissions and recruitment. So we're going to tackle these three questions as we do each week. Uh, for those that are new to the Roundup, we take our news stories from our newsletter that comes uh, comes out Mondays at 9 a.m. Eastern Time. I'm dropping the links to our uh, SMIE Consulting website, uh, smieconsulting.org slash subscribe, dropping those links in the chat on Facebook and YouTube. I'll be adding those to our live stream chats on LinkedIn and Twitter a little bit later this afternoon, but wanted to give you an opportunity. If you aren't subscribed already, you can also, if you don't want to do it through the website, uh, you can also do that if you're more of a LinkedIn user. Uh, we have our newsletter that's distributed through LinkedIn as well, dropping the link to that most recent edition as well into to the chat. So it's really been an interesting week and as we do each week, we take the news, uh, the themes that we cover or the questions that we cover here on the Roundup from our newsletter that comes out Monday mornings. So as you get that on Monday mornings, if you like to play games and figure out uh, what Smarty gonna talk about this week on the Roundup, you'll be able to see all of those uh, news stories and, and perhaps uh, see where there might be critical masses of, of content that will allow us to go a little bit more in depth here on Wednesday afternoons. So we're gonna be talking today about three questions uh, that uh, have been popping into mind quite a bit over the last few days. Uh, First up is, is international student recruitment marketing broken? And this is a topic that's very near and dear to my heart. As uh, you may, uh, um, may know, I've been in international education my entire professional career, going on 30 years next year. And one of the things that I've always found are remarkable in terms of how institutions have or have not uh, done international student recruitment is institutionally oftentimes there is very little bandwidth, very little commitment, very little resources dedicated specifically to true marketing activities, to uh, establish brand awareness in market, to maintain a presence digitally, uh, to really connect on an ongoing basis with prospective students and their parents via online means. And the article that we're referring to that where we take a lot of what we're we're talking about today is from a colleague that I met uh, back in December at the ARC Conference. Uh, His name is Mauricio. And Mauricio Segura, and he has um, a, a company uh, he started a, a couple of years ago called Platy, P L A T T Y. He's based in Australia, originally from Brazil, but really an uh, Aussie Kiwi Brazilian mix. And he has, uh, mm-hmm. uh, has has established Platy, And Platy, if you're not familiar, is is kind of short for platypus. And platypus is one of the, is one of the only is the only mammal that lays eggs in the world. Uh, so that's a kind of a unique animal in and of itself, and his company, Platy, is, uh, is, he's using this article, and it's a Pine News article, uh, kind of talking about his take on international marketing. And I tend to agree with a lot of what uh, Mauricio has to say. But uh, the basic concepts of what we're talking about here, and I'll put the link to that article in the chat as well, uh, you have that now for your uh, connection if you're on, live on Facebook and YouTube, you'll get that link uh, as we're going through uh... we are talking today about this topic of international higher ed marketing because it is often an afterthought uh... at most institutions there are a few well-funded institutions that have international as a real priority uh... that will dedicate funds to international student recruitment uh... and that's not necessarily the same as international marketing uh... that tend to be uh, separate items very rarely are they combined into one uh, office. one office may have responsibility for doing social media t- to support all institutional uh, programs uh, and departments and needs uh, through uh, through the uh, the web or IT team uh, but uh, very rarely will you see uh, substantial dollars or even, unsubstantial dollars, depending on your perspective, uh, maybe forty, fifty thousand dollars $50,000 devoted to international student marketing. Uh, not going to recruitment fairs, not uh, signing up with prospective uh, lead gen sources, that type of thing. Something that is really designed to Uh, capitalize on online and digital tools to drive interest in an institution beyond profiles uh, that is really leveraging social media, leveraging online presence to really drive uh, traffic, to to drive interest and to convert uh, traffic into uh, applicants and eventual students. So when you talk to uh, your uh, web team, your, uh, your marketing office on campus and you find out what their budget is. Uh, you And you f- ask them the question, well, uh, you guys do uh, ads, you do commercials, you do uh, digital banners, you have all this budget that you commit to promoting the institution. Uh, and, and they go, of course, yeah. Uh, and then you ask, well, uh, how much of that are you devoting to rec- student recruitment uh, ads, that type of thing? And they'll say, here's X dollars out of our budget, X dollars out of Y budget is devoted to uh, domestic uh, student recruitment efforts, uh, commercial commercials, uh, banner ads, all those kinds of things, social media efforts. So uh, when you ask, okay, what percentage of that of your budget is for international? And you'll usually get a lot of blank stares and a hemming and hawing and say, well, none. Uh, and very rarely, if you do, uh, if they have any budget, it's like if they got some leftover money, they might throw a bone to the International Recruitment Office or International Student Admissions Office, and then they have some funds, but really no direction. Uh, and I say uh, that, it and I agree with Mauricio in terms of uh, marketing is broken in international higher ed. We don't really know what we're doing. Um, we have ideas of what we want to do, but we don't have two or three things uh, necessary to make it happen. Uh, internal bandwidth within our offices uh, to leverage social media, to leverage digital ads, to leverage an online presence and establish an online presence in markets where you don't already have these things. Those are things that typically are the biggest roadblocks and really uh, prevent anybody, any office from making tremendous, any significant progress in direct international higher ed marketing to students and parents. Uh, there are those that realize uh, that may have money uh, but then realize they need they don't have the bandwidth themselves to do it but they want to farm it out uh, that uh, there are companies out there that do that these kinds of things but they often tend to be cookie cutter kind of approaches that oh yeah we can do XYZ for you uh, because we have run campaigns in certain markets for for uh, for institutions but it's usually a cookie cutter approach uh, there are some and we've talked about uh, our, Uh, Folks like Inted out there in the marketplace that are are really customized uh, and do specific campaigns in specific markets with specific goals to drive applications, to drive conversion, that type of thing. So there are people out there doing it, so not all international student recruitment marketing efforts are in the U.S. particularly are bad, but they are very rarely done in-house. Very rarely. Uh, Those that try might have... 10,000 bucks to do a variety of international marketing related uh, uh, efforts. Where if it's beyond anything like a student profile or a college profile on different search sites, uh, usually it might be we've got to do a video, we've got to do maybe translations of our content, we've got to do a uh, locally hosted site in certain markets. There are services out there like that uh, that can provide that, but. To develop those resources in-house is is, is very difficult and time-consuming, and most international student recruitment offices are siloed uh, on campus and don't necessarily have those resources or staff time or bandwidth or even knowledge of how to do that using social, using digital in other markets. And there are differences, and those are things that, frankly, an international student recruiter is not going to be aware of all those Differences in the, all their major markets. They may learn that over time, after consultation, a lot of trial and error. If they haven't, if they try to do it themselves, they probably they may figure that out. But the t- the, the actual uh, greater majority of folks that are doing it are kind of doing it on a shoestring. They may have um, established a, uh, a, an account, say for China, they may have established a WeChat account. But is it a verified account? Is it? Uh, do you have uh, locally hosted website content? Uh, in that market, uh, that uh, you can regularly update and uh, and change. There are, and there are services that do that, but very few are taking advantage of these things. And that's one of the things that I, I I point to in Mauricio's article that is particularly relevant. And that is uh, when uh, the things that he say he says are the are the missing pieces in a lot of institutions' strategies where social media is all but an afterthought, and if uh, any institution is doing international student-focused social media, it tends to be very, oh, let's do it on Facebook, let's do it on YouTube, and that might be it, uh, maybe some Instagram. Uh, but we're seeing very few institutions really have um, the bandwidth and knowledge and expertise to low in-country that uh, you knit-mount YouTube's not, YouTube's not going to be uh, the most direct way to reach students in this market, we need to be on Insta. Or in Facebook, yeah, in certain countries Facebook still is important, but in most it's, it may not be as much anymore. So it's that knowledge and it's uh, the kind of approach towards uh, those platforms in certain markets. It's using in-language, in-country language, in country language uh, that native language in mar- certain markets that is going to be particularly important and allows you to target your markets much more effectively. Uh, that having an in not a, not necessarily boots on the ground uh, to do in the, the travel the agent the agent rec- agent work with students individually, that's all is an important component. but how are you doing it digitally? And that's really what we're, we're talking about here in terms of the missing pieces. Very few will do use that in country, Digital knowledge uh, to understand where, how do we do, handle websites in this country? How do we handle social in this country? So that frankly, the ban- knowledge base, the bandwidth isn't re- you typically going to be housed in one office in a university or college campus. So that's the piece that Mauricio is really referring to that that in terms of knowing that the system is broken because that kind of expertise doesn't exist and precious few institutions have to dedicate resources to either get that expertise or figure it out themselves over time or farm it out. Uh, and that's one of the things I really appreciate about Mauricio's approach is that it does take it uh, with Platy, does take it uh, and f- uh, focuses in particular markets to help drive particular me- metrics in your key air, key, uh, key destination or source markets for your uh, for your institution, so there's a lot to, to do uh, digitally, internet uh, to improve what, how we do international student recruitment, and oftentimes it's it's far down on the priority list just because you got ha- to deal with your in-country representatives, you got to have your presence on the major search sites, but really there's a, a, a third layer that uh, that in terms of having the presence and uh, globally and having in-country reps and having that digital middle ground. Uh, where you can really drive home your points uh, for your institution and that's really the piece that's missing. Uh, An an associated article to that was um, one that's gotten a little bit of a critique in certain markets uh, from certain uh, certain folks out in the wider world of international ed consulting and and, uh, commentating and uh, it was an ICEF Monitor article that talks about visually led, the growing power of image first design and international student marketing. And this one is uh, 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 reflects something that we all know is, is is the case. The the data might be less uh, less important than the actual content, uh, uh, which I think the message of that content is that uh, the visual medium, visual media, uh, is how we need to be approaching uh, Gen Z, our current recruitment generation that we're uh, bringing, trying to bring to our colleges. Uh, and what a good website looks like in this day and age. So there's some of those kind of very basic points that they're making, but it is it is content that is very can be missed by a lot of uh, institutions. And when you particularly if you when you drill down to your international content on your sites. What's the appeal of it? It Does it have a visual first, image first approach? Uh, an image can be obviously photos but also uh, also video content, short form video content that is just on a loop. Uh, is that part of your, your international homepage per se? Uh, are you doing anything to uh, provide a very minimalist version of the above the fold kind of content to really drive that, uh, capture the eye and drive the attention? Uh, keeping in mind the shortening, shortening attention spans, whether it's eight seconds or not, uh, the point is uh, students uh, need to feel like they are um, they're they're, they're going to digest their information quickly, make a decision whether to pursue it further or move on. So there, it's a good article. I just pu- I put it in there as kind of backup for what we're talking about here, but hopefully this gives you a good sense of what we're really after in terms of this point on. Uh, is international higher ed marketing broken, and for for most institutions it is, because frankly we don't have the bandwidth to really do all that we need to do to be truly effective. So we're kind of oftentimes feeling around in the dark trying to figure out what works or trial and error type of approaches. There's a little bit of that involved in what you need to do uh, on international marketing, but it's not solely uh, the focus, uh, shouldn't solely be the focus of uh, just more of an afterthought, needs to be one of the central elements in terms of what you do, not only having a digital presence on, of your own, uh, not only having the on the ground agents or networks that you're using, but also maintaining that level of contact digitally uh, and f- in a focused and targeted way in, with language and local uh, local in-country content, content in your key markets. So that's the point of that one. So yes, it is broken, but not everywhere, but there, are, there is help to be found if you uh, have budget and are willing to, do, uh, to put in unnecessary necessary work and be willing to let go a little bit. And that's an important part of that process, I think, realizing that we can't do it all on our own. So that's question number one. Let's move on to question two. Are student visa overstays a real problem? This is a topic that hasn't gotten a whole lot of attention recently but certainly is one that uh, if, uh, you've, if you're in international education you certainly recognize how significant this was during the last administration. It was an area that was placing uh, student visa holders squarely in the, in the sights of uh, the previous administration and doing uh, pre- previous administration and certain individuals within the previous administration that were clearly anti-immigrant and clearly doing everything they could to reduce the number of qualified, uh, st- qualified uh, students that could come into this country as well as other immigrant categories. And that is visa overstays. Uh, there were arguments made by the previous administration that uh, it's such a significant problem that it's running rampant. That just students are coming they're, and they're overstaying visas and not being, and they're not uh, their current status isn't known or not. They could be doing anything in this country. They're terror c- terrorist cells or whatever the case might have been. Whatever the fear mongering approach of that uh, previous administration related to anything that wasn't. Uh, Natural born uh, was uh, was uh, was uh, was put everybody in the crosshairs, uh, to be honest. And uh, students were in the mix for non-immigrant visas uh, holders, and that is something that they used as a weapon to kind of stir it up. Well, we got to do something about this. That's why we had to. But there was a proposal to end DS in the previous administration, duration of status that would have allowed, that allow, currently allows students to stay in the country as long as they're maintaining status, uh, which uh, to, uh, whatever degree or program they're in, uh, that as long as they're maintaining satisfactory progress towards that full time, all of the necessary components of being an international student, uh, they were okay. Uh, The the potential to eliminate that and force students to renew their visas every year, every two years, whatever it might be, uh, was potentially a huge administrative hurdle that would have um, bogged down ICE and DHS even more than it already is, So, uh, CBP as well. So we look at what's happening since the change in administration, and we certainly see that um, uh, based on a report that was released uh, on the previous fiscal year, Uh, dropped a link to to that report uh, from DHS into the chat. And it goes into the actual data uh, of what uh, the visa overstay rates were. And you look at it, the overall, at the end of FY 2020, uh, there were were, uh, less than, or there was, the visa overstay rate uh, was 1.27%. Of all the hundreds of thousands, of immigrants, non-immigrant visas, uh, that uh, categories, uh, less than 1.3% were in overstayed categories. So um, very insignificant in the big scope of things. Uh, When we drill down to specifically students, uh, we see that uh, for student visas, it was about 1.55 of the according to this number, 1,800,000 student and exchange visitors scheduled to complete their program in the United States. Now, one of the things that's important here, uh, with the, even why the student rate, and it's not significantly higher, uh, 1.55 versus 1.27, you look at it uh, and you think about what what the what that means. Uh, student visa categories, FM and Js, Uh, Other than the J's that have uh, two-year home residency requirements that they have to go home, uh, so that's a very identifiable number. Uh, Very few of them are in this overstay category. Uh, You have F F and M's, mostly F's, uh, where uh, if they transition to another status uh, where they may have applied for, they've been on OPT and then they get their company that they're working for applies for an H-1B for them uh, or they've transitioned into another visa status. Uh, they are, c- could potentially be counted in that overstay if there's no way to document where they are. Uh, so there's some data in here that's uh, important to keep in mind in, in terms of how we evaluate these, uh, these numbers. And I really think that uh, what we see in terms of uh, our visa overstay rates in the U.S. not, 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 been, a, a, not been a significant issue when it comes to students, particularly post CVS, where the tracking is there and the students can be accounted for much more easily uh, through the through the digital systems that are in place. So I think the visa overstay problem has long been overstated, particularly by the previous administration, and can no longer the data simply doesn't support that claim anymore. Uh, that they often made that claim without backing it up with any real data. So it's something that I think we we look at and we see the, the actual numbers and we realize this is not a big deal in the in the grand scheme of things in terms of numbers uh, that we're, we're referencing here. So I think what we're seeing is um, becoming less of an issue and one that is not going to, certainly in uh, this current administration, isn't going to get the kind of uh, attention, media attention that than it certainly did in the previous administration. So the visa overstay rate, let's put that one to bed and say, non-issue far as far as bigger scope of of all the problems in our immigration system. That is way down on the priority list in terms of why things that need immediate action. So let's move on to our third and final question of the day. And this is always ultimately what anyone who's in uh, international student recruitment will say you need to know. And that is, what do students want? Uh, Not only do you, uh, as part of your responsibilities in international recruitment, international admissions, uh, international education in general, is knowing what your audience wants, knowing where they are, where they spend their time, uh, and being able to listen for what what those cues are to uh, help you better target their needs. Now, uh, one market that we uh, talk about regularly here on the Roundup, because it's the second leading uh, source market for the United States, in some countries like Canada, it is the number one market, uh, and that is India. And we looked, we're talking today about what do Indian students going abroad want? And that is an answer uh, that everybody wants to know who's in student recruitment. And it's one that, if you spend any time in the field, uh, talking to international students, or talking specifically to Indian students, you get. Uh, and it is, they are looking for information about work opportunities after they're done with their degrees. Now, post-study work uh, has been, over, over the last three or four years, has regularly been at or, at or near the top of every student survey, prospective student survey, who's, who are looking to go abroad, looking to go abroad in terms of what they want out of their destination market. There'll be some uh, in some countries where, uh, depending on where they're from, that maybe reputation of an institution might be more important or uh, value for money uh, would be a more important, lower cost or whatever it might be. Uh, prestige rank, gets up their rankings, obviously uh, factor in. So quality quality measures and career opportunities, post-study work, have generally been one or two in almost all student surveys of the last uh, decade. But what we've seen recently is the rise of the importance of outcomes. And colleagues of mine in on international education globally uh, have uh, talked regularly about the importance of institutions uh, being able to talk to specifically international audiences about the value of what a degree will get them as uh, as an incoming student, and we talk about outcomes. The surveys now over the last two or three years, the number percentage of students that are hyper focused on this is on this on the idea of what am I going to get for my degree. Uh, particularly if you're coming for a, a master's or a doctoral program where it's uh, a, not a ter- not necessarily a terminal degree, but one where you're particularly if you're paying it paying your own way, you want to know what the, what, the, what the value is going to be for your education. Uh, certainly, parents of undergraduate students that are coming in want to know what they're dropping upwards of a quarter million dollars or more is uh, for their son or daughter. Uh, What are they gonna get out of this? Is it just a cocktail party conversation thing for knowing they have a degree from a a U.S. institution? Or is it really, I need to know what kind of jobs I'm gonna get? What kind of uh, access to graduate education I'm gonna get in that country as a result of going to your institution? That's the kind of thing that is driving most students around the world these days, knowing what the outcomes are. Now, it's one thing to know that your prospective student audiences are wanting that information or wanting to know what uh, the chances are of getting a a job after graduation. Uh, But it's another thing entirely for your institution to have that data, to have those anecdotal stories that can share specifically with those students that are coming from abroad what their chances are of qualifying for, for work or, or potential jobs graduate after graduation. Now, I say that because career services offices generally have information on, well, 80% of our graduates have a job, undergraduate students who are not going on to further graduate study uh, will have a job within six months of graduation. Obviously, that's great to have that, that kind of a, a, a stat. And yeah, if that's all you got, you certainly need to have that in your locker when you're talking to prospective students but very rarely do institutions have that kind of a data point or other data points for international students. And that's just, uh, it's probably one area of international higher education that is least covered uh, by, or least emphasized by campuses is, okay, uh, yeah, all we're doing is getting our international students a degree, we don't uh, really have information for them, uh, yes, they can come to our job fairs. Yes, they can uh, benefit, take acce- have access to our services, but we're not doing anything specific for them to help them get a job in the United States. And we're doing, probably doing even less to try and help them, if that's possible, even less to help them find jobs overseas, potentially back home. That's the piece that you really want to f- laser focus in on if you're getting nothing else from this conversation today. What do Indian students want when they're, uh, that if they're going abroad to study, uh, the digital journal survey that you're gonna, you're gonna see the results, And actually it's from INTO, uh, one of the major pl- uh, uh, pathway providers in the United States, uh, almost eight in ten Indian Gen Z students, 76 percent, looking to study abroad, plan to work and settle overseas after completing their international degree. And that was a total of over a thousand Indian students participating in the survey commissioned by INTO to track the changing aspirations of Gen Z post-pandemic. So this is uh, a significant piece uh, that U.S. institutions in particular need to pay attention to. Why? Because these students are hyper-focused in India on that post-study work. It may not be as significant in other countries, and there will be differences, and that's going to be clear. Uh, anyone who's, uh, who talks to students from other markets, they might have already family, family business back home that they're going to be going home to take over. They're coming to the US to get trained so that they can do that job when they get back home. There are others that are going on for further graduate study. There are others that w- don't have uh, a job waiting for them when they get back. Uh, or not on a scholarship that has a job attached to it, that they are now hoping to, if not stay in the United States, they're gonna be those that wanna stay in the US, who aren't going out for further studies, and they're gonna be those that want to go home. Those two groups are, you both, ha- you have to k- be able to provide at least basic level information to both if you're truly gonna be ticking that box on how well are you doing to help international students prepare for the steps uh, after graduation. In terms of knowing that uh, there are job, there are employers that come to campus who will hire international students. Do you even know that information, uh, and have be able to track that information? Are you tracking where they get their OPT uh, when they've when they when they've gone and they're uh, they're working with the international office to uh, file their OPT paperwork and get their new I-20 for that? Are you? Do you have that reliable data uh, that you can you can refer to? Uh, if not, start in, st- taking the time, have a, a task of GA with collecting that data from your SEVIS folks on campus. Uh, if not, uh, work with Career Services to develop models that will help you track that better moving forward. you got to start doing that if you want to be responsive to the needs of prospective students that are going to be as- answering the, asking you the questions of what am I going to get for my degree. Yes, I'll get a degree, but what is that degree going to entitle me to uh, or give me access to? Uh, either in the United States or back home, you need to have some solid answers and hopefully data to eventually back that up. Anecdotal stories will go, will go so far and will do well to help you provide that, uh, the, the successful examples of what your uh, programs can uh, deliver for prospective students. Uh, but you, if you don't have those, those stories yet, you start gathering that data. Uh, you ideally you want both because uh, not everybody is a data person people want to hear from somebody who's been a success and you can, you need both of those in your web in your in your arsenal eventually so work towards that because for the Indian market they're going to be hyper focused on it they're going to ask you these questions if you meet them in fairs in in, in country in India or if you're dealing uh, with questions over email or at virtual events you're going to get these questions certainly when they get to campus they're going to ask you about jobs uh, either CPT opportunities or eventually OPT so no that it's coming, and then start preparing for that. One way you can get ahead of the curve a little bit is, uh, is to have the data that can help you justify why Career Services needs to be investing in this uh, this as a topic of uh, development for their offices and potentially funded some of the projects that they're going to need to do to get that kind of data or provide the kinds of opportunities they need to for, for your future graduates from overseas. Uh, one of those is an upcoming webinar I'm going to plug for July 7th. So that's going to be a week from uh, th- tomorrow, Thursday. So Thursday, July 7th. Uh, it's sponsored by iGraduate. That's uh, a free webinar you can sign up for. I'm dropping a link to the ch- in the chat for it now. It's also in our newsletter on Monday. And this is uh, specifically for the US and Canadian markets. It provides you content and data points for currently enrolled international students uh, talking about uh, what they're finding, what they're uh, where their level of satisfaction is with their experiences on campus. Where the lowest level of satisfactions are, where the highest level of satisfaction is related to um, academics, related to uh, uh, campus and class sizes and experience in the classroom, uh, experience with professors, uh, the uh, study environment, all of that. But also career services is one of those things that you get a chance to look at. And you'll find from their initial slides, you see in terms of one of the lowest areas rated in terms of satisfaction for with higher education institutions in the US and Canada is with career services and career advice so we'll get to there'll be more data on that I certainly encourage you all to register for this webinar if you're not uh, already Uh, it can be a real eye-opener I'm sure and help you gather the data you need to be able to share with administrators on campus as to why this needs to be a focus of not just your office's work as an international office, but the campus as a whole, and specifically career services. So that's all we have for you today on the Midweek Roundup. We appreciate you joining with us uh, and answering, uh, being a part of the conversation. Uh, We'll certainly be looking forward to future conversations about these topics and more in the Midweek Roundups to come. And keep in mind, by the end of this summer, uh, we're going to be hitting our 200th episode of the Midweek Roundup. So we're hoping that you can join us for a special event uh, when we hit that later this summer. So thanks again for being a part of the journey, and we look forward to chatting with you again soon. Cheers.